the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, corporate earnings, anything we could kind of piece together, whether it be taxes, whether it be investing, owning a home, not owning a home, mortgages, what have you, and what will you. Um, Dow Component Home Depot reported fourth quarter and fiscal 2015 results. Um, That was pretty good, and they announced a 17% increase in quarterly dividends, and people are pretty happy with that kind of guidance. Um, are we focused on oil today? Not so much. Are we focused on Home Depot? Maybe a little bit because Home Depot is tied towards the housing market. But again, we will focus on oil, right? Uh, oil's trading a little bit lower today, under $33 a barrel. It's been the move of the year as they go, so goes the stock market. Joining me now to talk a little bit more, CFP Chad Burton. How are you, Mr. Burton? Great, Rob. How are you? Um, well, thanks for asking. Um, let's talk about one of the certainties in life. It's obviously death and taxes. Let's talk death, though. People die, and they leave money to their spouses and their next generation. The millennial generation seems to have an interesting approach to the market. They don't invest with a lot of they, – they, sometimes they have money, cash, but they keep it as cash. Um, how can people start to protect their money and start to use their money, this millennial generation? Yeah, and one of the things that I've noticed, too, in terms of as these companies try to get the millennial investor, there's a lot of ETFs that are being created that have the name millennial in them, and they tend to be real thematic investments, like, you know, a lot of tech, a lot of genome mapping, a lot of things that are um, just one or two sectors, and I think that's a very dangerous theme for people to get involved in when they're investing in just one sector, one theme. Um, you know, one one of the best things has been a dividend growth model um, when it comes to companies, and and you know that that gives you income all the time, and that's what we need to help our our younger people understand. Um, so they either don't invest or they invest in something that's extremely aggressive. It's like one end or the other, right? So when sure. you want to see how the next generation handles their money, and see if you need to do some really extensive estate planning and protect them. 
give them some money while you're alive. Um, if you're, you know, assuming that you're going to have a, a pretty large estate, you've done a very detailed financial plan with cash flow projections and what if scenarios for you or your spouse going in. Why not give them to them while they're alive, Rob? Right? See how they handle money. Say, hey, here's here's a couple thousand dollars. Let's uh, let's start a brokerage account, and I want to see how you're going to invest. And if they start that account, and then six months later they cash it in to go buy something that they really don't need, then you know what you're dealing with, right? Sure. So, um, and if they if they become that type of person, if they're cashing it in, if they're blowing it on a new car they don't need or a trip when they should be paying down student debt or something like that, then you might need to protect them. You might, you might need to leave it in trust. And the best way to do this is not with a large bank. That's one thing to keep in mind. A lot of, of attorneys even put together trust documents that name a local bank, and then all of a sudden your kids are stuck in these very high-fee trust accounts where the, the bank is the investment advisor and they're the trustee, where instead let them choose the money manager and also leave them – with a professional trustee or a fiduciary, and it's a much lower cost. So you can find a trust professional where they might charge an annual flat fee to be the trustee to determine when and how your kids get the money based on what you wrote in the trust document, and they're not charging you 2% plus per year. Um, and you can even write things in there, Rob. Like um, in, in mine, I have it to where if my kids show that they take an active role in investing and funding a retirement account, and they can get reimbursed by the trust um, when they do that. So if they say, oh, if I put money into 401k, not only do I get a match from my employer, but this trust is going to reimburse me. Um, so it's a win-win-win situation. Got it. Um, and obviously, it's, it, it's nice to leave some professional guidance behind um, and lets your family mourn and do things that they would normally for you. Um, so I like that idea on the concept of a professional trustee. Let's talk about extra distributions distributions when they fund 401ks. Um, that's tied towards a trust as well, and that's tied towards – you could put little stipulations like that in a trust. Is, are there other stipulations you could put in? Um, yeah, I mean, you can do a lot of things. If you, you there's a, a trust is basically how you haunt people after you pass away, right? There's a living right. trust that you use to avoid probate, but what I'm talking about is a – a trust that remains intact after you die, and you can give certain rules in there in terms of when they get distributions. So we've done them where um, the, the, the trust will give a distribution, an extra distribution to a child when they graduate from college or when they have their first child or when they buy their first home. Um, so there's a lot of things that you can do in it. And, again, the first step is to how are these kids going to deal with money? Um, because – when you do leave money to people in trust after you die, there's extra expenses involved. It's not for a couple hundred thousand dollars. Um, it's for a much, much larger amount. If you have a small amount, like a couple hundred thousand, and you're trying to leave it to somebody, you know, maybe in a, more of an insurance product that gives them limited payments over like a 10, 15-year period so they don't use it all at once might be a better route. So what you do with your money to determines how much you're leaving and what how the person acts with their money. And it's kind of a process that you got to really talk to professionals about, almost like uh, their counselors. Speaking of CFP, Chad Burton, New Focus Financial, you can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. What about IRA funds? Yeah, IRAs can be owned by a trust. And if you leave your IRA to your living trust, you're actually leaving a tax nightmare. 
um, where people might, instead of being able to defer taxes over their entire lifetime, they might have to pay all of the taxes over a five-year period and lose all of the benefits of what's called an inherited IRA. So if you name a, a, a child as your beneficiary in an inherited IRA, they can roll it into, or on your IRA, they can roll it into an inherited IRA and defer taxes over their lifetime. But if you want to do that in a trust form and have some control over it, it has to be a special trust because there's required minimum distributions. It gets complicated in terms of talking about it on air, but it has to have this conduit language in order to, to be able to maintain that tax deferral. So typically, you're leaving it in a special trust, an IRA trust. Um, so this is really important because a lot of people are retiring with a good portion of their assets either in their home or in their 401k. So it requires some special estate planning. Let's talk about children. Uh, will, the kids, will the kids tend to use the parent's advisor? Um, you've got this issue, I'm sure, as an investment advisor, as a certified financial planner, that you've got a lot of, uh, not adult, but you have a lot of clients that have children. Um, do the children tend to stick around? Um, yeah, so far they have, which has been great. But we're also a firm that's fairly dynamic. I mean, we've got, you know, one of our certified financial planners, Brad, is 65, and then our youngest one is in the 30s, and we've got somebody coming online that's just graduated uh, college with a, a degree in personal finance and has already passed the CFP exam. So if you have that range in your firm in terms of people yeah. that they can connect with, and also if you have a digital advice platform where people can log on and on-demand look at their financial plan and all of their assets in one place, the kids will stay. But there's a lot of people out there, Rob, that are – advisors in their 60s and the, you know just managing money and not providing any other financial planning or digital platform that they're, they're not going to be around in you know 10 years thanks very much it's cfp chad burton you can find him at newfocusfinancial.com that's newfocusfinancial.com you can find me at robblackshow.com it's robblackshow.com that's on twitter robblackshow as well as youtube robblackshow as well You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing more. Home prices rose at a solid clip in December, helped by a healthy job market and low mortgage rates. The Standard & Poor's Case Schiller Index, it's a 20-city home price index, rose 5.7% from a year ago levels. Prices rose 11.4% in Portland, Oregon, 10.3% in San Francisco, and 10.2% in Denver. Washington, District of Columbia, uh, registered the lowest annual increase at just 1.7%. Builders have been focused on apartment complexes trying to take advantage of rising rents, but the real estate data also shows that growth in home rental prices slowed in January. Elsewhere in financial news... Book your plane tickets soon. Airfares have hit five-year lows towards the end of 2015, and now airlines appear to try to say, you know what, we need to uh, fix this. 
and we need to start raising prices. Southwest uh, raised their domestic fares by $5 one way on trips taking place within seven days. Such fares most affect business trekkers, who often book trips closer to the actual travel date, as well as any other flyers deciding to travel at the last minute. Southwest is often the glue of the fare hike stick, since most other carriers won't uh, don't want to be seen as charging more than their low-cost carrier. Southwest actually initiated the latest price boost, and you'll see Delta, United, American follow suit. Fitbit, not doing well. Um, Fitbit is a bit of a quandary and a bit of a problem. Their shares dropped 14% today. The earnings were great, but the revenues crashed expectations. Uh, things are slowing down. Fitbit said higher manufacturing costs and the global launch of new products, the Blaze and the Alta. It's going to affect their results. Companies said expected revenues to come in at 420 to 440 million below the 484 million. Um, Fitbit is thriving amid increased competition uh, in the whole market. The app surge on Apple's App Store chart suggested to some that Fitbit devices were a popular gift item over the Christmas holiday. The problem with Fitbit is that it's a wearable device that we have to take off, and I don't feel their technology is ready for prime time. There's too much going on there. It's it's good, but I don't feel that it's ready for prime time. I've had a Fitbit, and I just basically got disgusted with it, and that's a bit of a problem because now the brand has been tarnished, in my opinion. Um worthy of note that Fitbit kind of feels to me a little bit like, tell me if I'm wrong here, feels a little bit like GoPro. So when you take a look at Fitbit, ticker symbol is FIT, F-I-T, um, commodity product, i.e. tells you how many steps you take in a day. There's other companies that tell you how many take steps you take in a day. The IPO, I believe it came out in the mid 30s and it went straight to 50, 51, 52. And now, since then, it's been a straight path down, hitting a low of 13 a day. If you were to take a look at GoPro and put a GoPro chart on top of that, it's pretty similar. And again, I'm going to say it's it, it's got the same problem. One does video that's kind of a commodity. You attach a camera to your helmet, cute. Uh, the IPO comes out and it does well for about three months and then it starts to collapse. And is it or near a 52-week low, showing you that Fitbit and GoPro maybe came public with too much speculation, right? So not the worst thing in the world, but a reality nonetheless. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Home Depot, a big home improvement retailer, a company that shows, hey, you have a home. You appreciate your home. It's a customer experience kind of business. Uh, solid execution, continued recovery in the housing market, record sales, net earnings, uh, all positive for uh, Home Depot in the last 52 weeks. Uh, Chipotle, Mexican Grill. They've got a problem bigger than E. coli at this point in time, and it's starting to become pretty obvious. Um, it's called menu fatigue, and Customers are growing basically tired of the menu, and there's other competitors offering fresh, customized fast food somewhere at Chipotle now. So their success kind of made them a little bit complacent. The so-called menu fatigue strikes at the heart of their business. 
mean, Chipotle has deliberately left its menu virtually unchanged since it was founded two decades ago. And the only major change on the menu in the last 23 years has been the addition of tofu sofritos. Um, the company kind of prides itself on the simplicity of its menus. Uh, burritos, burrito bowls, tacos, salads. Um, customers can choose from four different meats or tofu, two types of beans, a couple salsas, guacamole, and that's it. And it gets to the point where, okay, like, that's it. So Chipotle needs to probably ramp up their customer research and figure out what people want. It's one of the reasons you're seeing companies like Wendy's and Burger King and McDonald's go at each other so aggressively. Wendy's has a new ad campaign where they're like, hey, our burgers are never frozen. And then you that comes to mind, like, McDonald's frozen patties, right? Um, and then they've changed their bun from a very bland bun to a more artisanal bread type bun. Uh, Chipotle needs to do the same exact kind of thought. You know, what are the tastes that people want right now? You see commercials for, like, Doritos, right? You go back 30 years in Doritos. Nacho cheese flavored Doritos. All the rage. Rah! People loved it. And then people got tired of them. And they came out with something a little more zesty. Ranch. Ooh, cool ranch Doritos. Yum. And then people got kind of bored with that. And now you have basically... Uh, flavors that are going to burn your intestines from the inside out, and your poops will never be the same again. It's like hot sriracha, demon mixologist version. It's it's too much, but that's what people want right now. They want their their palates stretched as far as possible. Uh, if you go back to the average house in the 1950s, Americans had you know four or five spices. You know it was salt, it was pepper. And then it started to, like, get very limited. And now the average home has 40 to 60 spices in the spice rack. Um, Why? Because, again, maybe it's more accessibility. Maybe it's that we want more. So onion powder doesn't cut it anymore. Now we have to have uh, fire-inflamed, roasted onion powder. I'm like, really? Really? And the answer is Really? 800-516-1220 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Home sales climbed in January despite a weaker economy. Um, home prices rose at a solid clip in December. So the housing market has been a big plus in the last five years. Um, with a lot of thought out there about our economy versus the world economy, Okay, you kind of want to keep an eye on it. But we're still in a pretty good scenario, really good scenario, in fact. And we have super low interest rates, which is helping enormously. Uh, people like me, I go on vacation, I come back, I'm like, I want to buy a house there. Uh, while interest rates are still low. And it's it's not that I want to buy a house there. I always finish that statement, while interest rates are so low. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com.
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. Two weeks ago, the market was in crisis mode. All was lost. I go on vacation for one week. I come back. I speak with Patrick O'Hare. All looks good again, Pat. What happened? What did I miss while I was away? What turned us around? Well, I think all your listeners would want you to be on vacation again, Rob. So, <laughs> um, uh, but I'm That's how it back. works. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think what turned around really was um, was just in- investor sentiment, frankly. Um, you know, it's, it's viewed as a contrarian indicator, and things really got um, pretty negative. You know, um, uh, basically anything that was coming out was viewed with a negative spin, and uh, and there was good reason for it, but, you know, markets get into these oversold situations, they get into overbought situations, but at the point in time when you left, I think we were, you know, right in the mix of that oversold situation on a short-term basis, and so there was a willingness to come in and, and you know, uh, buy on that dip, and that's helped uh, turn sentiment a bit. Uh, and, you know, coincidentally, you know, it coincided with uh, oil retesting its uh, January low, and as oil prices came rising, um, rebounding sharply, uh, things just kind of followed suit with that, and it was just a general improvement in the tone. Uh, Mr. O'Hare, you work with Briefing.com, and I really appreciate your, I'm not going to say simple nature, but your ability to turn financial content into digestible nuggets for people. Um, what is it about the whole Janet Yellen thing that has me bothered? What is what? To me, it, it feels like she's kind of painted herself in a, I, I don't know, she's in a corner, but she's not in a corner. I'd like to see her go away. I'd like to see things go back to historical norms. Something just leaves me unsettled. Well, you know, I think you can uh, take your remarks probably back to Ben Bernanke for that matter. Um, I mean, this, the, the Federal Reserve has just become a, you know, a, a whipping post uh, for Okay. You know, good reason, right? Um, I will say, partly in its defense, the Federal Reserve is not really getting much help out of Congress, right? And each Fed official comes in, all the, you know, Bernanke said it, and Yellen has now said it. It's like, uh, and then on the other side of the Atlantic, uh, Mario Draghi's bemoaning the lack of, you know, fiscal help over there. But, you know, they keep pointing out, like, okay, we're, we are, we, we put all this stimulus in there, and we're not getting the, the growth we want. We hope we're going to get it, but it kind of needs your help too. And uh, and the Fed, you know, can really kind of only do so much. But what we've seen it do is a whole lot, um, you know, historically speaking here, in terms of what it's done to expand the size of its balance sheet, in terms of what it's done to lower interest rates. And um, you do have to wonder, you know, how bad things would have been if those things were not put in place. But what we're running into now, I think, is a Fed that is essentially pushing on a string, and you have a Fed chair who is um, trying to sound an optimistic note, uh, but, you know, till recently, I think, hasn't had a whole lot of data to back up uh, that viewpoint. Um, starting to see some green shoots there, though, I think. Uh, but nonetheless, uh it's just been a, a troubling wave of communication out of the, out of the Fed and, and the Fed chair uh, that has created a great deal of uncertainty here for uh, for the market, and so it's tough to kind of 
really embrace that leadership when uh, the market's always left to feel as if it's sort of twisting in the wind, waiting on each single piece of economic data to figure out if the world's most important central bank is going to do something at its next meeting. Today we saw the U.S. home sales climbed in January despite a weaker economy, and we also saw home prices rise at a solid clip in December. Um, Housing has been a plus to the U.S. economy. We saw Home Depot come out with pretty solid numbers this morning. Uh, what do you think the next direction is for housing? Does it continue to go higher, or does it finally break and uh, end its six-year run? Well, I, you know, it has been a, a, a nice, steady recovery, and, and I think that that's, you know, the key word there is, is steady. Um, you know, my uh, thinking is that we continue to move up in terms of the recovery in, in, um, in the housing market. Uh, given, you know, that mortgage rates continue to remain extremely low, uh, and given that there's a lot of pent-up demand uh, that has not been satisfied because a lot of potential buyers have been restricted from, you know, making that home purchase, particularly potential first-time home buyers, by a lack of income growth. So if we can get the economy moving as the Fed suggests it will be moving in due time here, uh, we should likely see some better uh, you know, income growth for these potential home buyers, and, uh, and I think that that could help um, you know, keep things uh, on an upward footing. Um, so you know, I don't think that you know, we're likely to see you know, a collapse in housing, but there's certainly some markets out there, uh, obviously, that um, are, are overheated. Um, where the, the the price gains that you're seeing on a year-over-year basis are are far outpacing the you know income gains in the area, and that that is not sustainable. Um, and so there's probably going to be some rolling corrections in certain markets, but overall, I think that the housing sector nationally uh, should continue on a steady uptrend. I saw a quote attributed to you yesterday in an article about Internet stocks or dot-com stocks potentially hitting a bubble and falling pretty hard, commenting on LinkedIn and another tech company that fell 40% after reporting earnings. Any thoughts on the Internet bubble? Um, are you seeing one? Are you, are you not? Uh, what's the direction going on there? Sure. Well, if I can borrow a, a, ter- a phrase I just, you know, put out there, it's a rolling correction, right? You have, yeah. uh, I don't think we're in the, you know, we're not in the same type of environment that we were back in the dot-com days where, you know, it's pretty much uh, throw a dart at something and you see it, it, an extreme valuation. But there's certainly pockets of the technology sector uh, where multiples have gotten, you know, carried away to the upside here. And uh, in an environment where you're seeing uh, sluggish economic growth uh, and uh, a, you know a Federal Reserve that's talking as if it would like to raise interest rates, um, we think this is a market that's not as willing to pay up for for growth at any price as it once used to be. Uh, it's looking for growth at reasonable prices, and so when companies like LinkedIn and Tableau, which is the other uh, company you're referring to, you know, when they came out and they reported their results, got absolutely clobbered, and I remarked that I hadn't seen reactions like that uh, really since the dot-com bubble burst. Um, so the market is is cognizant, I think, increasingly cognizant that, uh, that some of these momentum stocks uh, just got way too hot, and, uh, and if they disappoint and suggest that they're not going to live up to those very high-growth expectations that were embedded in those premium multiples, they're going to pay a serious price for it. And so you have these rolling corrections and these uh, rolling bubble bursts 
uh, in certain areas. But overall, you know, there's still some, uh, you know, uh, good prospects that can be found there in the technology sector with, with quality companies. You look at a company like Facebook that had a tremendous report. Uh, it's hitting on all cylinders. Um, Alphabet, kind of the same way. You know, it's a good, comp- great company, well-managed. You know, these are stocks that are also somewhat counter-cyclical in nature because they're going to be still used extensively no matter what type of economic cycle that you're in. So, so there are opportunities out there still to be found. There's been a lot of talk recently about supply cuts in the United States, oil rig count for the oil industry lower last week while I was away. Is it too early to start trying to bottom fish for some of the oil investments out there? Well, I, first, I don't think so. You know, as far as we're, if you're talking true investing, right, we've seen in most of these mm-hmm. stocks get clobbered 50% plus, and, you know, energy is a cyclical business. Um, you know, probably one of the best cures for the supply glut are these low prices. Um, I don't think necessarily, you don't want to say that I think oil has found a bottom. It's just I think at this point in terms of the energy sector that, uh, there's not as much downside risk over the very long term now as there is potential for, you know, upside appreciation. So it's not a type of approach I would suggest where you go all in with all that cash you might have on the sidelines, but I think you start scaling into some of these beaten down names in the energy sectors for investment purposes. Um, you know, trading these stocks, uh, good luck, you know, because the, the commodity is so volatile these days and sentiment turns on a dime here. Uh, in the short term, and you really have to be, you know, an expert in market timing to to get those trades right. So, um, uh, but as an investor, I think there is some opportunity that's starting to avail itself. I'm cheek speaking with Patrick O'Hare, chief market analyst with Briefing.com. I start every day by reading one of his page one columns. Anything that you're working on right now that you think should be added to this conversation while we wrap up? Well, yeah, I think you know we're back sort of in this in this market. I think uh, with the rebound we've seen, where everyone's kind of kind of falling back on this idea that you know these central banks are going to save the day again with more policy stimulus and and ignoring once again some of the fundamental realities out there where things just aren't so super. And I think uh, you know one of the areas I'm going to try to highlight here in my big picture column is is what's going on with global trade. Um, I don't know if you paid attention to some of these export numbers that have come out out of all these major economies, the U.S. included, but they've been pretty lousy. Uh, and while there might not be a direct feedback loop to the U.S. because of that, there's a number of indirect connections that flow from those weak trade figures that I think could weigh on uh, GDP growth uh, and certainly weigh on financial market performance here as we look out to the rest of the year. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare, Chief Market Analyst with briefing.com. You can find him at briefing.com. I literally start every morning reading his column. It's maybe four paragraphs, four and a half paragraphs, nothing crazy. Uh, Totally digestible, but it gives you a really good view of what happened yesterday and what's going to happen today at the start of the markets. I highly recommend an independent source like a briefing.com to help you with your investment portfolio, investment ideas. I'm Rob Black, talking to all things financial. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Yeah, it is.
You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KBOW and iHeart Radio Station. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. One of four Americans is on the verge of financial ruin. The rich keep getting richer. Thank you very much. The rest of us, not so lucky. There's nearly one in four Americans have credit card debt that exceeds their emergency fund or their savings. That's partially because many people, in addition to their debt, don't have a dime in their emergency fund at all. That is one step away from financial ruin. I had a friend who lost a tooth. Um, pretty girl. <laughs> this is kind of a funny story. Cavity from childhood blew up. Um, and underneath there, there, well, cavity basically became a crown, and the crown basically became a festering area of uh, not healthy tissue. And uh, so the whole tooth had to be removed. It was $6,000. And on occasion, I'll tell friends and family, if you need me to loan you money, I'll do it. Um, no strings attached. When I loan money to friends and family, I kind of assume I'm never going to see it again because ultimately it creates really, really bad feelings if I don't see it again, right? So on this case, $6,000, you know, that's, if you make 6000 a year, that's 10%, right, for a tooth. She's a pretty good-looking woman. She doesn't want to have a hole in her mouth making out with a guy and his tongue gets in there and finds this big, empty socket where a tooth used to be. She wants to fill that. She wants to fix it as best she can, as best as medicine can. And I told her, I was like, you can go to San Francisco State and, you know, it'll take probably two to three months to get an appointment, but practicing dentists want to practice on you and they'll do it for, you know, half the cost. Um, there's ways that you can try to cut it, but most of Americans aren't prepared for a tooth going bad. Um, some age groups are worse off than others. The percentage of, of people who say credit card debt is greater than emergency savings is worst on people aged 30 to 49, about 26%. Um, 50 to 64-year-olds, about 25%. The ideal situation is to have no credit card debt and at least six months of savings in an emergency fund. More than that, if you have dependents. Reality is that most of us don't have even close to that. So um, you need to kind of suck it up and do it yourself, in my opinion. There's some great credit cards out there. I use Barclays Arrival card. I get 2% on all transactions that goes into ultimately flights or hotels for myself. Um, that's a pretty good perk. Um, I pay off my credit card every month. There's the C-Bank, uh, 2% cash back, 1% as you earn it, 1% as you pay it off. So everything costs 2% less. So everything that you buy and I buy, I'm getting it for 2% cheaper than you if you're using a debit card. That just makes people use debit cards look stupid. Now, you know I told you they're to get richer. A lot of us will sit around and say, you know, we're watching, like, the, the Warriors games, and, like, whoa, that's a lot of fun. I'd do that for, yeah, I'd work for, like, a million dollars for sure. There was a guy named Delonte West. He was an eight-year NBA uh, player. He finished his career in 2012. 
32 years old. He earned $16 million when he played with Boston, Seattle, Cleveland, and Dallas. He was recently seen walking around a jack-in-the-box in Houston, wearing a hospital robe and no shoes. Uh, TMZ has a sports department now, and they, they found him and said, Are you Delonte West? And he goes, I used to be, but I'm not about that life anymore. Things got worse. Um, the questioner said, you know, what happened? And his career was a curious one filled with unbelievable off-the-court stories to complement solid everyman stats. He played more than 400 games. He shot about 45% from the field. He finished with 4,000 career points. But he also turned a big problem. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 2008. Um, he slept with LeBron James's mom. Um, he's denied that, but that was the story. And he's got a kid who, you know, has to go to school and all the kids tease him that his dad slept with LeBron James' mom. Um, a little bit of dementia, a little bit of bad health can turn $12 million, $14 million into almost nothing. Let's go to a caller. Jesse. Jesse, how are you? Hi, Rob. Um, uh, three years ago, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Um, in the last couple of months, uh, pretty much my health has been in a free fall. And I've thought about uh, seriously about disability. Uh, I've, for the last 15, 20, 20 years, I've saved up diligently and invested diligently for for uh, where my retirement. But I didn't factor this in. So, okay, how can you help me to uh, deal with Parkinson's at an age where I'm 59 right now? And uh, I don't know what to do. Yeah, Jesse, how much money do you have? What are you talking about as well, far as assets? Half a million. Okay. Jesse, what I'm going to suggest, and thanks for the call, I don't know enough about your disease, uh, Parkinson's. I don't know about your diagnosis. I would say at age 59, whether you have a disease or don't have a disease that's going to debilitate your life, I would seriously quickly make an appointment with a financial planner, a certified financial planner. You hear CFP Chad Burton, New Focus Financial, all the time on this show. Um, and start coming up with a plan and maybe even a health directive as well. Um, a budget and, you know, that money will go fast. Poor health and retirement is very, very expensive. And at age under 60, you probably still could work, um, but maybe not with a, dis- a, a, a disease that disables you. So I would say make a plan with a financial planner sooner rather than later and start coming up with, you know, a plan, a three to five year plan, and you're going to have to go at those kind of levels, in my opinion. Um, I don't know what you have as far as assets go. I don't know if you have a home or no home. Um, I don't know if you're diversified or not, but I think now is a good time to get a, a really good budget going and consider working with a financial planner so that you can spot mistakes, you know, potentially like, hey, move out of the Bay Area if, if that's the case. Go to an area where you can enjoy your life and enjoy your money for a little bit longer. I'm Rob Black, talking to all things financial, money, investing, and more. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.